Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking to John Paul Thornton, who is an artist who was um, uh, propelled on his way, the artist's way, <laughs> I had to make that pun, um, because of an experience that he had, his own story of abduction, when he was teaching art. And that uh, experience has changed his life. And I love to talk with people who have had um, stories where their life could have gone one way or the other, in the toilet <laughs> or to a place that would inspire others. And uh, John Paul Thornton, uh, who is the author of a new book called Art and Courage, Stories to Inspire the Artist Warrior Within, uh, took the high road and has been, since 1990, um, helping people with helping us remember the missing children so that we can uh, not stop looking for them. Welcome to the show, John. Thank you so much, Dr. Carroll. It's great to be here with you. Um, well, so let's start with your story, <laughs> the story of your student. Give us some background and then tell us what happened. Well, you know, as an art student, I graduated college and had intended to um, move into the art world and... Uh, I had uh, the opportunity to begin teaching art classes at a school for children, and uh, I took that job. At the time, I was uh, maybe 21 years old and um, found it a fascinating uh, experience working with these kids and teaching them art. And uh, my life changed the day that I showed up to my class and found that I had an empty seat in the front row now, before you go on, um, how, what grade were you teaching and where was this? Uh, this was at a, at a wonderful facility called the Help Group in mm. uh, Los Angeles. I'm, I'm familiar with that. And so it's children, disabled children or children with learning disabilities and That's so on. That's correct. And mm-hmm. uh, I was uh, uh, working at the time with kids who were you know, middle school age and elementary school and a few teens as well. But this particular day, um, I had an empty seat, and um, this belonged to a really amazing, really dynamic little girl. And we were told at the end of the day that she had been reported missing. And uh, this really made a, a big impact on me for, for a couple of reasons. The first is, I'm fortunate that I've come from a really amazing and intact family. So to see someone go through any kind of trouble at all was a remarkable uh, uh, eye-opening for me. But to understand further uh, the impact of the, the loss of this child in the classroom, uh, I realized the, the, that her friends, her peers, were deeply affected. I realized that the, uh, the therapists she worked with were affected, that I was affected. Um, but what really cemented this for me was Upon going home, I opened up my mailbox, and I found one of the flyers that we've all gotten in the past that features a photograph of a missing child with the, with the words, Have you seen me? Mm-hmm. And suddenly something dawned on me um, that this little girl I was working with was just one of thousands of children whose families were impacted, whose uh, friends were impacted, and to see this image printed on a little disposable piece of paper horrified me. And for the first time in my life, instead of throwing that piece of junk mail away, I kept it. And once I had uh, made that decision to keep that card, um, that, the, the little girl who I knew uh, began to symbolize in, in my mind um, all of these children who I didn't know. Hmm. Something switched. I began to see this issue more personally and on a broader scale. And Dr. Carroll, uh, m- month after month, week after week, I continued to receive these flyers in the mail. Have you seen me? Have you seen this child? Every week a new child, and every week 
I was unable to throw those cards away, and I kept them all in a drawer. And after the end of a year, I had a drawer full of these cards. Hmm. Well, now, before, um, whatever happened, what do you know about what happened to this little girl? Was she ever found? They were able to recover her later on in the year, and it seems that she had been abducted uh, perhaps by... Uh, a, a, a boyfriend of the mother, and uh, mm. she had gone through, um, as we were told by the police and by the counselors, um, a, you know, a very traumatic experience. And um, I was able to to, to see her uh, later on in the year before she was transferred to another um, youth facility, and she was never the same. Um, her her sense of trust that she had had was eroded, and her sense of of uh, of uh, of character had had altered dramatically, and it, again for me, I understood that the idea of of abduction in America um, being uh, a mysterious stranger who kidnaps someone from their bedroom mm-hmm. is is such a small uh, percentage of the cases. In reality, it's a boyfriend, it's a girlfriend, it's a family member, but the scars and the impact on these children of our country are uh, very deep. Yes, absolutely. So this was a boyfriend who was trying to get revenge, or like a boyfriend scorned kind of thing? Apparently that was it. And, uh, you know, we were told by therapists that there was, uh, you know, a, a, an amount of assault that took place, um, an amount of, uh, of uh, physical damage as well as uh, emotional damage put upon her. And how old was she? Well, at the time, I believe that this girl was uh, uh, ten or eleven years old. Oh, you may have said that. Okay, and um, and I guess what you're you're being kind of euphemistic, but um, I guess when you said that she was transferred to another facility, I mean, I guess psychologically she had fallen apart and now needed to be um, in a not and not a an outpatient or not a you know someone who just came to school but she needed to be to to be in a residential facility that's that's correct um and this this isn't always the case of course but in her case um whatever familial uh, structure existed had uh completely unwound during this time and unfortunately her her custodians and guardians um, uh, needed to uh, have her go into a, a group home uh, type of facility, and I, I I haven't followed her case beyond that, mostly because they kept her uh, her case private. You know, as I as I moved on in my life, but I know that for me it was a real eye opener um, that when we talk about child abduction in the United States of America, we're primarily talking about familial abduction, um, and. And a lot of times people assume, well, you know, they're, they're with a, a family member or they're with someone they know. How bad can that be? They must mm-hmm. be safe. But I've had the opportunity through my uh, work with families of missing children to understand further that the, the, the trauma that can go on in these cases is um, very profound in that it, it eliminates the sense of safety um, in some cases uh, Maybe for decades, maybe 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 uh, for the rest of the child's life. Mm-hmm. There's a really wonderful uh, story um, about a, a, a fantastic um, boy um, named Sam Fastow, and Sam has uh, uh, been kind of a spokesperson for the National Center for Missing Exploited Children for uh, a number of years since his safe recovery. And um, his mother uh, uh, was telling me that uh, in his situation, uh, an estranged father uh, abducted Sam. And, uh, you know, he was forced to change his name, forced to change his hair um, style, forced to uh, move to another state, to live in isolation, to be removed from schools. And um, when he was ultimately recovered, this... this, uh, this took a while for him to uh, uh, heal from. And uh, he, he was in the care of an amazing parent and w- was such an amazing network of uh, healers and supporters. But um, I think one of the things that I realized is the real problem in our country isn't the, 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 the small percentage of, of, uh, of uh, you know, you might call them monsters, people that, that break into a home that, that steal a child off the street. 
but a lot of times it's um, it's our own families falling apart, either out of spite, out of vengeance, mm-hmm. um, and the children are caught in this. And somehow there needs to be a message delivered to the new generations of parents that this solution um, is not a win mm-hmm. situation. That well, of this, course, you know, um, the reason why so much of that has increased is because of the increase that there's been in divorces and um, and parents you know that is such an emotional time i think it's it's probably i mean it's not so much um sometimes it's not about the relationship with the with their spouse but it's the the idea i mean sometimes it it's just the custody issue the idea of losing a child um is so emotional and and profound that people act in ways they never would have imagined that they could have acted before I, I think that's what uh, appears to occur, that people begin to act in ways that uh, go beyond their, uh, initial, uh, their initial moral compass or their, their understanding of, of the child in question. Um, and we're fortunate in that you know, we're living in a time now where th- there are so many more resources available um, to track down these children. But uh, as you've said, uh, the divorce rate in our country uh, uh, seems to be... Um, the precursor for a lot of these um, events which take place. You know, I, I wanted to just, uh, for your listeners, talk about um, some of the statistics quickly, yes. uh, that which I, I've uh, gathered from the National Center for Missing Exploited Children website. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and these are some astounding numbers. Um, uh, 800,000 children younger than 18 are reported as missing each year. Um, that's that's a, a little under 2,000 children reported missing each day. Hmm. N- now, listen, most of those numbers uh, involve kids that are runaways. Um, they, they appear maybe in a day or two. Um, however, uh, 200,000 children each year were abducted by family members um, for, a, for a period of time long enough that the police will uh, consider them a missing person. Hmm. And uh, uh, 58,000 children each year were abducted by non-family members. This would be, uh, you know, friends of the family, maybe a, 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 a neighbor. Only 115 children on the average are victims of the stereotypical kidnapping. What do you mean 115? This is 115 children annually are, are uh, victims of the kind of kidnapping. What? Uh, that doesn't sound right. This is, this is the statistic given uh, by the National Center. And so these figures are reminding us that the uh, the vast majority of, of cases um, do involve interfamilial uh, uh, abductions. Hmm. That, that that it just doesn't seem it seems counterintuitive that there would be that few, uh, not 115,000. <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. And you know, out of those 115, although you're right, it seems like a small number. Think how many of those cases actually make. Headlines. Um, we we hear a, a couple of high-profile cases a year um, that are very dramatic and very startling. Um, many of these cases are, are often uh, vague enough that um, they don't even constitute being in the media. So, um, it, it, I, I, and I state these statistics because I, as a parent myself, um, I'm I'm so vigilant. But I, I want parents to understand that um, the idea uh-huh. of the, the you know. The, their child being yanked into a van, um, mm-hmm. such as J.C. Lee Dugard's case, that's a very small uh, possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, nonetheless, um, the the hundreds of thousands of children reported missing uh, constitute um, maybe something even more insidious, which is, as you said, the the the, the, the family ultimately um, re- reforming and transforming into something very different. Um, whether it's through divorce or, or through uh, 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 conflict between um, a parent and their uh, their surrounding uh, mates, um, our children are still really in danger in this country. Well, I, I guess I guess maybe the the um, reason why that sounds so small is because of that that number in between that I guess includes a lot of people who we would think of as put in in a near category to the people who take 
the children off the street in, streets in vans, um, the the neighbor or the you know someone who sort of has this vague knowledge or of the child, but um, isn't isn't in the family. But there's that that sort of gray area that you know. So that's why that those are taking up some of the um, abductions that we might think of as having been of having not known the person at all, of having it be a random kind of thing. Well, the, the idea of there being a neighbor or, uh, uh, you know, a, a friend of the family who knows the child, who has access to the child, right. um, and that, that that would constitute, uh, again, this, this average of approximately 58,000 yes. cases yes. a year. Um, again, that's very different than um, a, a complete stranger um, mm. out of the blue. Right. Um, and uh, right. you know, so so gratefully in our country, um, the, uh, the the number is very low. Now I've had a chance to work in other countries such as India, Nepal, um, and and China, and I was able to uh, work closely with different organizations to learn more about what happens in in other countries. And you know, well, yes, I I want you to now take us on this next step of the artist's way <laughs> to. Um, how this what what you have been doing uh since this experience happened with well i as as i was saying as as a teacher um this was very uh, uh emotionally jarring to me uh to to come into contact with such an amazing student and then to have that student um uh disappeared um and to have them removed from from um from my classroom and removed from their family um I, I'm, I'm keeping these cards, as I said, uh, month after month, these little flyers asking for information about various missing children. And, you know, there was a time in the 1990s when they were appearing on milk cartons. Some of your listeners might remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they were appearing on, on mailers and flyers. Um, the, the, you know, they're no longer on milk cartons. The, the, the milk companies had so many complaints from people saying that it was... Um, putting a damper on their breakfast, that, mm-hmm. that that program was phased out. And then putting the children's names and information on carpet cleaning uh, coupons was prevalent. But it began to uh, add up to me um, that these disposable faces um, were uh, so hard to come to terms with. I, I needed somehow to make these faces permanent. And being an artist and being a painter, I, I one evening... Um, picked one of these cards and looked at the little uh, postage stamp size face of this kid, and I created a large uh, three foot by three foot oil painting of their face. Hmm. And for me, it was a very, um, uh, you know, a very emotional thing to do. Um, as artists, we tend to become uh, psychologically involved with what we're doing, and you know, hopefully, emotionally involved. This to me was 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 very cathartic, um, and I put that painting away. <laughs> I turned it to the wall, and I didn't show that painting to anyone. And over the course of a few months, found myself painting um, an- another portrait and another and another portrait hmm. of missing children, until finally I had about 40 portraits huh. of these missing children. And um, uh, a few friends of mine came over one day and were poking through my studio and found all of these, turned to the studio, and they said, hey, John Paul, what's this? And I said, oh, you know, I don't know. That's just a project I'm working on. But their their response to the paintings is what shocked me. They all said, I never look at these faces. Mm-hmm. I always throw these cards away. And your paintings are having me understand this issue in a different way. And that's when I realized that I was onto something that was bigger than my own response to my student being abducted. I was doing something that was going to change the minds of viewers. And I began to exhibit these paintings. And uh, first I did it in a regular gallery setting, like uh, most paintings exist in. But right away I realized for these paintings to have more of an impact, they needed to get out of an art setting. Mm -hmm. They needed to be out in the world. And I did something which at the time seemed crazy for me, but I uh, bought some fabric and I cut the fabric into strips and I stapled the fabric onto the back of my painting so that people could uh, wear the painting almost like a sandwich board. Hmm. 
and I began to uh, launch exhibitions in public places where hundreds of people could come together and wear a portrait of a missing child over their heart. And this was a very um, um, essential ingredient to what I realized I was meant to do with these paintings. When people could touch them and, and wear them and, and read the card and hold the face of this child, they were no longer a, an observer, but they suddenly became um, an advocate in a way that they hadn't expected. And I've had a chance to do these exhibitions all over the United States. Um, the most exciting for me have been in uh, uh, very unexpected public places. And, you know, over the, the years I've been doing this, 20 years um, this year, to be mm. exact, mm-hmm. Dr. Carroll, I've, I've painted hundreds of paintings of America's missing children. And um, through the Internet, especially in the last three or four years, these paintings have taken on um, a, a, a really exciting life of their own in terms of opening up people's eyes to this issue. Well, now, how... Um well, first of all, what size are are we talking about now that the people are wearing as sandwich boards? Well, the paintings range from uh, um, 11 by 14 inches all the way up to 3 feet by 3 feet. Okay. So They're it's very a... large and uh, very colorful. If I can describe the paintings, they're you know, filled with life and colorful, colorful uh, paint and activity. Very different than a uh, a simple photograph, um, and and ha- wh- what kinds of places have you been doing this um, in, and where do you get the people? You know how how do people know to come there? And um, I mean, are these people that who have lost children themselves, or how how do you arrange this? Well, this has been kind of the the exciting part is including people in on this. Um, you know, I, if you've ever read the story. Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain, there's a great chapter where Tom Sawyer has to paint a fence, and he Mm -hmm. somehow manages to convince all the other kids in the neighborhood to to start painting the fence, and he can kind of relax while they take part of this activity. Yes, when I was in, I don't know, elementary school, I changed that little scene to be, uh, I think, Terry Sawyer. (laughs) And I, I cast myself as Terry and had all these other kids. Painting the fence. I remember that. Yes. Well, there, there, there you go. Then that's you're familiar with this this sort of idea. Um, this has been my my challenge is uh, to get people to feel empowered by this, to get people to feel as a- advocates themselves. So I can talk to you about that in a little bit and explain. Yes, so we will uh, when we come back from this break. I do want to hear all about it. I mean, it obviously sounds wonderful and and. Boy, a, a real um, commitment of all your your time and energy and devotion. This is really a beautiful story. We do need to take a break. My guest is John Paul Thornton. His book is called Art and Courage, Stories to Inspire the Artist Warrior Within. And, of course, his own story is very inspiring. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? 
call the Terrorism Hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest today, John Paul Thornton. He is the author of Art and Courage, Stories to Inspire the Artist Warrior Within, and he's been inspiring us uh, with his story of um, having gone from the tragedy of, of losing one of his students to uh, abduction to... <laughs> Changing that having changed his life and his having changed uh, the life of many many other people by having these exhibits of his paintings of uh, of other missing children to sort of to to what make people more make them not throw away the postcards that we all get and really recognize that these are little lives that are um, being brutalized. Um, so before the so continue where we left off you were I was asking you about you know how you arrange these it's like a sit in like a paint in <laughs> I guess that's what it is it's almost like performance art um, when I was sitting there in my studio with 40 paintings of missing children I felt a little crazy I it felt it felt a little mm-hmm. um, uh, meaningless to me almost or, or or indulgent somehow but once I started getting them out into the public, I realized that people were appreciating them, not just for the, the colors and the brush strokes I used, but because it seemed to put them in contact with a kind of empathy or a universal sense of connection. And um, this is exciting stuff for an artist because we want to be able to impact our audience. Mm-hmm. And the most exciting thing for me is to to not just use paint and, and, and push paint around, but to provoke people into some kind of action. And That's what, what kinds I love. of actions, for example, have people, have you found out that people have taken after that? Well, you know, uh, the question might be, how do, how do, you, how do you launch a, um, a public event um, with paintings that doesn't need an art gallery? Um, I, I can contact someone in a community and get them inspired about this project and say to them, you know, I'd, I'd like to have uh, uh, maybe uh, 100 people come to uh, uh, the, the, the entrance to a museum, each to wear one of these paintings of missing children. Um, c- could you help me? And people open up their phone books. They start calling their friends and family who in turn call more. And just in, an, in a sort of act of faith, these people come uh, to a site and I'll have paintings there, and they'll, they'll each hold a painting. They'll stand as a group and wear these paintings. So it's like a huge moving wall of, of art. Hmm. Um, they're, they're, they're sharing ideas. They, they, they cry together. They, they burst into prayer together. Um, but I think more importantly, Dr. Carroll, they start to ask, 
what are we doing here standing around with paintings? What, what could we do that's more, more active, more tangible, more meaningful? And um, what, I'm, what I'm hearing is people start to um, become inspired to start that nonprofit organization that they never started. They start getting involved in social service. Um, they, they pursue uh, the invitation to teach um, that they were always hesitant to uh, follow up on. And uh, all of this is compounded with their, their, their awareness of, of child safety and their awareness of, of, of family uh, 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 strength and unity and also the awareness of these children. So um, to me, this is, again, the exciting thing. This is what art should be doing. Um, mm-hmm. when, I, when I was an art student, I was always told that artists should, you know, stay in your studio, um, you know, if, if you're going to get into trouble and cut off your ear or drink some <laughs> wine, you know, uh, d- don't hurt anybody, uh, <laughs> right? And get your product out there, and um, it'll be marketed for you, and, and, and off you go. But but ever since the loss of my student, I realized that um, art can art can reflect something deeper, and art can impact people. But I love this idea of anything that causes people to feel that they're um, they're uh, holding within them a seed that can grow into something meaningful, to provoke people to fulfill their own calling. Mm-hmm. And that's what it did for me. That's what the loss of my student did for me. Um, and I'm grateful for that experience, um, that, um, that somehow beyond just the sadness or even beyond the apathy that can set in, I realized that there was something that I needed to do with my gifts. And, you know, Dr. Carroll, um, I work here in the city of Los Angeles, and I'm in contact with people all the time who are losing their jobs and who've been um, uh, put into really tough places by their uh, by by their career being downsized or their uh, their paycheck being cut. And this is an amazing time we're living in, where. Uh, People need to find something to give their life meaning in, in a way that maybe didn't exist five years ago. And if there's one thing I want to say to all your listeners is, is that the thing that's closest to you, the thing that's most meaningful for you, um, is worthy of, of expressing and sharing to other people because it really gives us a sense of community while we're watching our uh, our economic infrastructure change and shift, um, we're watching city council cut um, pro- programs that may take generations to ever be uh, uh, returned to us. Um, there's this amazing sense of community that um, needs to be shared and told about and um, re-enhanced. And art really is, is a beautiful way of doing this. I mean, let, let me just... Uh sort of go a little further with that. I, I think what you're saying, or at least it's what you made me think of, was that, um, you know, as tragic as this economic situation is for all of us, um, that in a way there's perhaps a good, some good that can be found in it in that it shakes everybody up from their nine to five, you know, what they do to think about other things that they might do to... Um, that would be giving back to society or helping society or, you know, instead of sitting in front of television all day because you don't have a job, um, there are so many worthy places where you could be handing out soup or uh, reading right. to a child or, you know, helping in a, in a school as an assistant teacher. I mean, you know, just not, with that, not where you need credentials of any sort, but um, there are just so many places, especially because of the economy, begging for people to come help. That's that's very true. Every, everything is being um, turned upside down, and people um, have so much to give. Sometimes so they've they've taken it for granted, um, and our the fabric of our culture, which is so much based on shopping, you know, it really is. Mm-hmm. Our culture is all about shopping. You know, we it's it's the the, the pulse of whether we're doing good or bad. And if that's going to shift um, in, in the months and you know possibly years to come. Maybe there's some other way that our pulse can be um, accurately taken. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know if that's service. I don't know if that's uh, 
through uh, something that we take for granted in ourselves. Let me give you a great example, Dr. Carroll. I, I have a, a great friend named Michael Giamatteo, and um, he played music um, when he was a, a, a kid, as all good kids do, I think. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he was uh, in a band and, and was writing songs, and he uh, uh, found himself involved in other career uh, positions you know, throughout his adult life. Um, but he, he he always kept with his music, and music was very important for him, like a you know like a diary, like a journal. Mm-hmm. Um, he found out a couple years ago um, that his son was diagnosed with autism, and uh, this had a huge impact on his um, his marriage to his wonderful wife and, and to to a lot of components of of, of his own self. Um, a huge amount of resource went into um, the care and the treatment of their their really terrific uh, son, Vico. And um, Michael found himself um, creating songs about his experience and uh, getting back into music in a different way, you know, as, as a parent. But then something happened. There was a speech therapist over at their home, and the speech therapist mentioned uh, we'd really like to get Vico some uh, some tapes so he can listen to music, but the problem is all these tapes for kids are sung so fast hmm. that autism students can't pick up the language. They need slower songs. I don't know. I don't know where I'll ever find that. And Michael realized, well, I can do that. I can huh. record those songs. And M- Michael created a CD specifically designed for autism, uh, for for, uh, speech therapists, um, so that they can communicate easier and so that these children can pick up the language easier simply by slowing down the way the vocals are sung. Mm -hmm. And he created a CD that was picked up by the entire autism community. Uh, He began um, making an impact on uh, families through this music, and then something else happened. He began to be approached uh, to speak um, at, at various seminars and uh, gatherings and lectures about how to keep his marriage going through such an experience. Hmm. And, you know, here he is today. He's become a speaker, a teacher, a lecturer. Um, his music uh, suddenly reached an audience he would never have expected um, that he may have even discounted mm-hmm, at one point mm-hmm. in his life, but he has he has transformed the lives of others for better through this experience. And so, when I talk about the idea also of art and courage, um, art is something that that um, we all play with when we're little kids, and some of us put it on the wayside, um, some of us carry it with us. But I think within us. To do art means to make something, and we're all here to make something out of what we've been given. Yes. Well, it's a, another beautiful story, and and we have to take a break. Um, we'll be back. My guest is John Paul Thornton. His book is Art and Courage, Stories to Inspire the Artist Warrior Within. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and stay tuned. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy 
easy-to-understand tools and tips. With his weekly guest, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And my guest, John Paul Thornton, is so fascinating. I can't believe the time has been going so fast. Uh, his book is Art and Courage, Stories to Inspire the Artist Warrior Within. The, actually, one of the stories... Um, is the story that he just told us about Michael. And uh, the other stories are about also just um, everyday Joes who have these in- inspirational stories, and some are about uh, so-called famous people with inspirational stories. But I want to, um, and we'll tell you at the end how, how you can get a hold of this book, but I, w- I want to just go to J.C. Dugard for a minute because um, she was one of the first uh, children, missing children, who you painted in 1990. Correct. Yeah, in 1990, uh, J.C. Lee Dugard was abducted, and um, you know we know the details were were very very horrific. Um, the story came out that a van supposedly pulled up and pulled this girl into the van, and um, she was um, disappeared without a trace uh, until being um, recovered last year. Uh, and uh, to remind the listeners, uh, we learned that she had uh, uh, two children who had been fathered by her abductor and was sort of kept as a, uh, um, a captive um, in one capacity or another throughout her entire adult or young adult life. Um, but I did paint J.C. Lee Dugard the week she was abducted in 1990, and her painting is actually, it's actually the largest in my collection. It's, it's over three feet square. And it was always a centerpiece um, in my exhibitions around the United States. Um, her story became so synonymous with uh, um, the worst-case scenario, that a, a, mm-hmm. a, a, a complete stranger would show up and pull a kid off the sidewalk on their way to school. Um, so I was so happy to find out that she had been recovered. I remember... Uh, people calling me and saying, uh, J.C. Lee Dugard has been recovered and she's alive. And uh, um, I, I, uh, I, I've, I've had such a tremendous response from people from the last 20 years. You know, thousands and thousands of people have been reminded of her case and kind of kept her, you know, kept her memory alive even further just by um, coming into contact with her painting. And um, I'm, I'm so happy for her family. And incidentally, I, I, I'm. I'm so happy that the family has been so um, kind of graceful and um, elegant in the way that they're uh, keeping her, you know, kind of kind of out of the spotlight right now, so that she can acclimate and her children can ac- can acclimate to a, a different life. Well, actually, I have a little different um, <laughs> what do you take think? on it. I mean, yes, it's nice that she's not continuously being bombarded, uh, but. But I don't. I think uh, a lot of times when when children, and this is you know what I seem to have picked up in this case, um, are returned from any kind of tragedy, um, there's a, a, a desire amongst the rest of the family to push this all under the rug. Huh. 
And um, because, you know, because largely because they feel so guilty that somehow they could have let this happen, right, you know. And I just worry in her case, as with a number of children, that um, they, uh, that she isn't going to be able to uh, be given the freedom to actually talk about how she felt. In particular, in this case, I mean, this is particularly difficult because uh, she lived with them for so many years, and she did have access to leave. I mean, that's the big yeah. part of it. Um, and this whole, all of the complex emotions as to why she didn't leave, and and the idea that um, she had to feel some sort of, you know, I don't really want to call it love, but um, some compulsion to to stay there, and um, and and her family people don't want to hear about that. And they don't want to hear about how she could have had any kind of positive or or any of the feelings that kept her there. And um, and, and there was difficulty. I mean, I, I think now she has agreed to testify against him, although we'll still have to wait and see. But, um, you know, it's so complex when this man who is painted out to be a monster um, and who took you from your family uh, is the father of your children. And how do you deal with your children telling them that their father is a monster? You know, it's just yeah. so many layers of complexity and yeah. emotions. I understand. And, yeah. and a child or now an, you know, who's now an adult um, needs to be given the, the, the freedom to have in sufficient in-depth uh, therapy that will take years and years to really get through all these layers and have have it come out to a point where she can understand it and, and deal with it and her children can. And it's, uh, the risk that, that, you know, so many of these children who, who are brought back um, have to face, even Elizabeth Smart, have to, who seems very well put together on the outside. But, you know, I don't really think that most of them get this kind of therapy and freedom to, to get to the bottom of it and to address all of their conflictual feelings, including the ones that their families don't want to hear about. Well, I, I think that uh, the, the hardest thing for all these kids, of course, would be um, a sense that the, uh, the floors dropped out from under them and that their, their ability to comprehend who is their ally, you know, who is their, uh, who's their supporter, um, yes. is, is so, so turned around. I can only imagine... And at this point, we don't know all the details, but I can only imagine the things that um, Phil Garrido may have said to her, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, turning her against her own family or, mm-hmm. or discounting them or, you know, boy, it's, what a complex case. I can't imagine a more complex case. And uh, um, as it unfolds, um, it must be an amazing opportunity for people who study um, um, the minds of victims uh, as well as the minds of perpetrators um, to, to get a, a greater uh, uh, comprehension of the mm-hmm. the, uh, the different layers. But, uh, well, tell uh, us. I, I don't want to run out of. Tell us about yeah. the um, the next exhibit that you're having on May 25th. Well, I, May 25th is uh, National Missing Children's Day, and it's also been adop- adopted as International Missing Children's Day. I've been painting portraits of missing children for 20 years, and people have been coming to me saying, I want to be part of this. I want to I create a painting of my own, or I want to do a piece of artwork to honor children in my own country or my own state. And through the Internet, um, I've been able to... Uh, uh, Create a uh, an event. We're, we're calling it um, we're calling it all children have guardian angels, and it involves uh, people in uh, uh, almost two dozen countries around the globe who've been inspired to um, create artwork to honor children who are missing in their own countries. And what we're doing right now is compiling all the lists of the people who will be doing this and what they're doing, and it ranges from uh, people who'll be taking a, a, an artwork uh, to their place of employment and just talking about uh, the case of an individual child to their coworkers. Uh, there's high school students all over uh, uh, the United States and all over the United Kingdom who plan on taking a piece of artwork, um, either that that they've created themselves or maybe one that I've created that I'm mailing to them, um, mm. so that they can present it to their their peers. Um, I'm so excited to say that there are um, there are young artists in Egypt and in Indonesia 
and in Persia uh, that are creating a body of work addressing the issue of young girls who go missing. So the social ramifications of this can be quite um, wonderful, I think. Well, now, let's. Um, could you give out a, a, a website where people can find out more about this? Well, this will or an all be email list- address, or how can yeah, this will get all, in touch this will with all you? be listed on on my website site artandcourage.com. Okay, artandcourage.com, and th- that will be coming up uh, within a few days. We'll have it on all the way through May. Okay, yes, because I've checked that website out and it didn't have it yet, but <laughs> but okay, you're going to be putting it up. Um, that the website is artandcourage.com. That's easy to remember, and that's the name of his book. Art and Courage Stories to Inspire the Artist Warrior Within, which uh, people can get from the website or I presume from Amazon. That's correct. It's available on Amazon.com and through Borders and Barnes and Nobles. Okay, great. And the name of the book again is Art and Courage Stories to Inspire the Artist Warrior Within, and the website is ArtandCourage.com. Wow, you have so many wonderful stories and. Um, and what you're doing is just really so uh, unique and create, creative. Okay. And, uh, I mean, not just with your art, but this whole concept of getting the, the world uh, involved in, in trying to combat this problem of missing children and trying to memorialize these children so that they don't, their, their last, um, their legacy isn't just a postcard that goes in somebody's mailbox. That's right. Well, thank you very much, John Paul Thornton. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.